Quiet, please. In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Sounds logical enough to me. Here we go, 500 years into the future. And now, in cooperation with police and federal law enforcement departments throughout the United States, Power Records presents... Welcome to Nerdy Dads, the podcast that takes a fresh look at pop culture from a parent's perspective. Each episode, the Nerdy Dads explore a subject they love from pop culture and talk about its origins, its future, and how to introduce it to kids. Be careful, though. This is definitely a podcast for grown-ups, and some of the language probably isn't safe for broadcasting at work. Sean and Steve have been friends for almost 30 years, growing up in what could be considered the heyday of pop culture, the 1980s. Now, as dads, they want to help their own kids navigate the science fiction and fantasy landscapes of today. And now, here are your hosts, Sean and Steve, the Nerdy Dads. This week, we're going to talk about Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman! Her origins, her modern incarnation, and her future. We're asking, what do we want our kids to learn from Diana of Themyscira? Look, it's Wonder Woman! Now, Sean... You did a little bit more research into her origins, uh, but all I know is that she was created in 1941, and she has a lasso of truth. Can you tell us more about it? No, actually, that's all you need to know. Yeah, that, that's that's basically per- it. Perfect. Okay, well, it's a very short podcast. Thanks for listening. There, there might be a couple tidbits that are a little more interesting, like, for example. <laughs> there might be. Uh, so Wonder Woman <laughs> was created by William Moulton Marston, who was a renowned uh, attorney and psychologist, and the story of her creation and of her creator is is fascinating and uh, definitely worth diving into for a few minutes. So I heard he's, he was not a uh, comic book writer, right? That's what I heard? No, not at all. In fact, he was discovered by National Publications, which would go on to become DC Comics, because the, the head of National, Com- uh, National Publications read an article in Family Circle magazine where Marston was interviewed as, a, he's, a, again, a preeminent psychologist, and he's being interviewed, and he's saying to the interviewer, a woman named Olive Byrne, that comic books are a great source of, you know, sort of morals and values, and they teach these really important lessons. And and so the head of National Publications was like, whoa, okay, this is great. This is like an outsider, you know, adding some validity to my business model. I'm going to call him up and bring him in. And so he calls in men, talks to him about, you know, what comic books and kind of what the world needs from comic books. And, and Marston says, you know, like, well, give me some time. Let me go home and think about it. And and when he goes home, Steve, um, he goes home to a pretty unique situation, particularly for the late 1930s, early 1940s, because he is married to a woman named Elizabeth Holloway, who is an attorney, which is already cool, right? Like 1940. She has her own career. That's awesome. Yeah, she has a lot right? of 1940s, you think like like stay-at-home June Cleaver kind of like, you know, stay-at-home mom kind of thing, right? Yeah, I mean, I you know, you, you picture her, like you said, with the apron, except her apron says like, touch me and I'll sue your ass. Like she is not... <laughs> <laughs> your average woman, which is great because Marston, again, is he's an attorney. He's a renowned psychologist. He's a professor. So these are two highly educated people, but they are not alone in their home because alongside them is Olive Byrne, the very person who interviewed Marston for Family From the Circle. Interview, yeah. yeah, for Family Circle magazine <laughs> of all magazines, um, which is fantastic because it, it's a family triangle, but it's still a shape, right? And so Olive Byrne <laughs> was a student of Marston's at Tufts University. And they meet, and she is brilliant. And they, you know, connect, and they fall for each other. And Marston goes home to his wife. He goes home to Elizabeth Holloway, and he says to her, you know, I'm in love with Olive Byrne, and I am bringing her home to our home to live with us. 
and either that's okay or I'm leaving you. And oh my God, the like I can't imagine like in 1940s alone, but I can't imagine doing that today. Like there'd be, but she was okay with this. Yeah, I mean, I look. I agree with you. I think it's grounds for murder. <laughs> like I don't think there's a court in the <laughs> land that would have convicted. I don't know. I mean, if my if my wife came home and said I met this guy, he's awesome. I'm in love with him. He's gonna live with us, or I'm leaving you. I don't know if I would have the. I don't know if I'm that evolved, you know? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, it's, and again, especially for 1940, right? And, and given right. the irony of this moment, too, because, again, Marston has been brought into national publications as a, a vetting expert on the morality of comics and was interviewed by his lover, Olive Byrne, for Family Circle magazine. And so, um, so he makes that proposition to Holloway, you know, a few years earlier. And she's amenable, and Olive Byrne comes to live with them. And and the thing that's really cool about this is, and it's not, you know, it, it sounds salacious, and for 1940, you know, it certainly is, but the thing that's really interesting is Holloway and Byrne and Marston live together, and Marston has two children with, with each of them. And Holloway, you know, she's a successful attorney. She has a career. So Byrne stays home and raises all four children. Which is, but wasn't Burn? She was Burn like a, a a student as well. Was she like a psychologist? <clears throat> she was. She had a psychology degree, and she continued to write. Actually, she continued to publish, and she served. I want to talk to those kids. Oh my god! Seriously, right? That's got to be like the weirdest. Like, this is my brother and my half brother. Like, uh, that's just got to be the the. That's an interesting dynamic. Uh-huh. Well, one of the as we say, yeah, 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 interesting dynamic, right? That's the that's the catch term. That's the phrase that's, of the day. That's a nice term for that's fucked up. <laughs> well, it's not that's though. An interesting dynamic. This is the thing that's so cool is that so so Byrne stays home to raise the kids and, and you know she still has a career. She like I said she writes and she actually is helps Marston with a lot of his his projects. One of which we'll talk about in a second. But she raises the four kids and Marston dies rather young. He dies in 1947, so only seven years after creating Wonder Woman. And Byrne, Holloway, and their children continue to live together. And in fact, once their children are grown and have left the home, Byrne and Holloway live together all the way up until their deaths in the 1990s. Oh, wow. So obviously they had a a relationship, whether it's uh, emotional or otherwise uh, more. They clearly cared about each other. They clearly stuck around. Yeah, and and I, I like to hope that it's more because I... You know, I love the idea of of these people finding, you know, fulfillment in this non-traditional sort of family structure, you know, back in the 1940s. And then, I mean, the icing on the cake is, you know, this is a creator of Wonder Woman. This is a creator of one of the great icons of all time. And the fact that he comes from a non-traditional family just kind of makes it better. I don't know. I, I really, right. I find it really fascinating. And, and uh, well, now, I, the, the thing, the only thing I know about, um, Marston before this was that he invented some like so is it too early to talk about the lasso because I'm fascinated by the lasso no let's get to the lasso because he was a psychologist psychiatrist uh, psychologist psychologist who was like fascinated with getting at the truth right figuring out when people were being emotionally truthful or 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 uh, um, just how psychologically it truthful. Mm-hmm. And so he invented uh, or, like, helped with the invention of the lie detector test, right? The blood pressure yeah. cuff. And actually, to give proper credit, Elizabeth Holloway has a role in that as well. So she says to him at one point, again, <laughs> he's really into researching truth and what sort of motivates people to lie. 
And she says to him at one point, you know, I've noticed that when I'm feeling particularly emotional, my blood pressure goes up. And she says, and it seems to me that when, I, when I'm lying or I'm caught in a lie, my blood pressure in particular rises. And Marston's like, oh my God, like this is a, a connection note that hasn't been made before. So he creates the systolic blood pressure sort of meter that then becomes the, the basis for polygraph machines. And he, and he does invent a nascent polygraph machine. In fact, if you go online, you can find some pretty famous images of him delivering the polygraph to both Olive Byrne and Elizabeth Holloway. Um, that is awesome. Because then Wonder Woman has the, is the one, is she, she's not the only, but she's the, the, one of the only characters, one of the only characters who can see through lies and, and make, compel others to tell the truth. Yeah, I mean, actually, you're right. She's not the only one today, but for many years she was. And But for decades, certainly, yeah. And it's fascinating, too, that that is, you know, like you said at the beginning, you're like, look, I know about Wonder Woman. I know about the lasso of truth. And you ask people off the street, you know, prior to the recent film, you know, what do you know about Wonder Woman? And they would have been like, oh, bracelets and, and the lasso. Like, that, that's, that would be. And a, she's strong. Yeah. Yeah. You know. That would be about it. And uh, so that lasso has a really interesting origin because, again, it connects back both to. Marston's, you know, other interests, and then, you know, has a tie back to his wife. And that's actually not the end of the his family's impact on Wonder Woman, because there's more. OK, <laughs> yeah. I'm in. Let's go. Yeah, And I'm like, let, but wait, there's more. Oh, there's a lot coming. And so <laughs> so he he had gone to national publications and they had said to him, like, you know, create this new hero. And he goes back home to Olive and Elizabeth and he's telling them about this, this proposition. And he's like, you know, what I really want is. Um, a, a female hero, a, a, and this is a quote directly from Marston. This is what he was going for in the creation of Wonder Woman. He says, Wonder Woman is psychological propaganda for the new type of woman who should, I believe, rule the world. Not even girls want to be girls, so long as our feminine archetype lacks force, strength, and power. Not wanting to be girls, they don't know how to be tender, submissive, peace-loving, as good women are. Now we'll unpack the last part of that statement in wow. a bit. <laughs> yeah, that's got a, now that's a loaded. That's that's a lot going on in that statement. There's a lot. Let's just let's take the first half. You know, the the maybe the less problematic half first. You know, I mean, he wants them to be, and even just the the idea of this, and as as dads, you know, as fathers of daughters, this rings so true to me when he says, like, even girls don't want to be girls. Because there aren't great role models. There aren't there aren't there aren't great role models. Yeah, they're not seeing themselves reflected in their heroes, reflected in the media. You know, and it's it's sad that, you know, how many years later, what, almost eighty years later, we still have a, a real dearth of dominant female role models. And and so you know, when Marston creates Wonder Woman, when he when he goes home and he and he talks to Holloway and Byrne, Holloway says something pretty famous. She says to him, you know, if you want this this archetype and you think that comic books are filled with toxic masculinity, then you better make her a woman. And Marston's like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. So he takes his wife's idea, and he starts fleshing it out. And not coincidentally, he bases Wonder Woman's look on Olive Byrne. <laughs> so he's got the brain of Elizabeth Holloway and the body of Olive Byrne and a new superhero is born. Yep, yep. She uh, she is the product of a polyamorous relationship from the early 20th century. Now, I know the origin of Wonder Woman was made from, like, she wasn't born. She was sculpted from clay, and then Zeus threw down a lightning bolt and the spark of life. Does that say anything about 
like what he thought the origin of a person. I mean, she, she wasn't born of a man and another woman. She was just created out of an idea, the lightning bolt, right? Yeah, and, and actually the lightning bolt being the smallest part of that, it was really more of that that sculpting out of clay. And and we'll get it, we can get in a little bit later to how that particular part of her origin has evolved over time. But that was a, a major part of her story. And and you know, people have interpreted it, I think, correctly, as the complete removal of male influence, as the idea that not only does she grow up on Themyscira, an, an island of all women, powerful women, you know, led by a queen who was her mother, but she even is is so removed from men that there was no role of you know, a man in her birth or her creation, and and I do think that is a very powerful part of her symbol and her myth. And absolutely, you know, and that I don't think, like you said, it's not accidental. So yeah, I don't think anything about her origin is accidental. Yeah. That's super fascinating, though. I was always like, well, what a weird way. I mean, like even Superman was born on a planet far away, and Batman was born. But Wonder Woman was created. She was intentionally crafted. That's really interesting. And, and it's it's an interesting juxtaposition, right? Because the big three at DC, the Trinity at DC, it's Superman, yeah. Batman, Wonder Woman. And Superman is the ultimate immigrant. He's the ultimate immigrant story, you know, from a foreign Absolutely. planet, you know, found by the Kents, raised by you know, on a farm on, you know, good values and becomes a good person. Um, Batman is the ultimate you know, redemption story, the ultimate story of overcoming circumstance where like, you know, crime has robbed him of his parents and of everything he knows. And instead of letting that make him a criminal in turn, he decides to rise. Well, against Well, that's arguable, but okay. <laughs> yeah, you're actually, you're right. <laughs> Vigilantism is a crime. We're not condoning. <laughs> <laughs> We're not condoning dressing in like a comic bat. book world. He is the hero. Yes. Yes. And then Wonder Woman is the, like, like you said, Wonder Woman is the iconic example of what would happen in a world molded by influences other than, you know, the, again, that toxic mas masculinity, which was a term Holloway yeah. used, you know, the, the impacts of war and aggression and violence and anger. Toxic and, masculinity. Good thing we don't see anything like that in our current uh, yeah, affairs. Yeah, yeah. It's unfortunately ah. this episode is not at Ugh. all topical. Uh, it's, yeah, right. Which is why I think we talked about, we decided we wanted to talk, get into Wonder Woman right away. Uh, it's one of the ones that we feel really strongly about. Well, and it's it's one of the few safe spaces for our daughters, right? And, and our sons and our kids. I mean, it's, it's one of the few safe spaces for our kids of like, hey, you know, our heroes are sort of dying on the vine. And, and maybe that's a good thing in some ways. But here's this this thing that's bigger than the people who created it, though the people that created it are definitely worth looking into. Now, she has the bracelets, right, that, that they're bulletproof? Yeah, and it's um, that's, again, borrowed from Byrne because Byrne was a, a dark-haired, very athletic woman and was sort of known for wearing these very chunky bracelets. It was sort of her signature look. And <laughs> one of the things I love about what they borrow from Byrne in, in the art is they make Wonder Woman purposely very athletic. They actually... Um, so <laughs> I don't know how to say this without chuckling because even though I am not 12 years old, I am never not 12 years old. But the artist <laughs> who creates Wonder Woman, the the, the person who co-creates her with Marston, is a guy named Harry Peter, which is just one of the great Harry moments Peter. of life. Ah, uh, back in the 1940s, when you could be called Harry Peter. You could be Harry Peter, you could be Dick Button, you could be any of the, any of these wonderful names that we have lost to time. They were just yeah. names, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's like, get over it. So but they're never not just names. <laughs> they're never not just names, yeah, yeah. Um, so so Harry, you know, if Peter draws Wonder Woman and... and, Bur and um, Marston has him purposely base her on Byrne. And the thing that's really cool is 
Marston and Peter are really conscious in the early issues of Wonder Woman, and this is a trend that would continue, to depict her in very athletic settings, to show her mm. like playing baseball on the mascara or riding horses or in some sort of competition of athletics. And and that's done purposely because he is he's trying to show young girls that like, hey, it is there's a strength in strengthening your body. And there's a strength in athleticism. And you don't have anybody to look to right now, but you need somebody and, and here you go. And I love that. Well, see, I always remember like like I have weird memories of Wonder Woman because I remember <laughs> like her being chained up. Yes. Right? Like always breaking out like always like there's like a lot of uh, looking back now as, as an adult, uh, some very strong uh, bondage themes uh, on the, the covers. And I didn't get it at first. I was like, oh, she's just, she's super strong. She can break chains. That's really cool. They show Superman breaking chains all the time. It's fine. You know, no problem. Yeah, it's, uh, it, so it is, this is a dual moment in, in her creation. This is sort of a, there's two ways to look at this and both I would argue are equally valid. So you're right. The, in the first eight issues alone of Sensation Comics, which is the, the book that she headlines. Now, she's created an all-star comics number eight, but almost immediately then, two months later, I believe, goes to Sensation Comics number one. They, they create a comic book just for her because she's so popular. And has never slowed down since. I think that is amazing. Yep. Yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit. So she, um, you know, in the first eight issues alone, she is bound by men uh, and women, actually more than 10 times. So it happens more than once per issue. And um, people have looked back on that and people have read it, again, justifiably, as Marston having a, a bit of a fascination with bondage. And he talks about that. And if you go back to that quote I read, the second half of it was... Yeah, the second half is the, the more uh, uh, interesting half, I think. Yeah, exactly. He says, not wanting to be girls, they don't want to be tender, submissive, peace-loving as good women are. And so Marston had this belief that the, the prevailing issue of our time was rampant egotism, was this, this rampant individualism that both, you know, sort of defined America, but also might be its eventual downfall, which is the inability to submit to authority or the inability to submit passively and happily to the greater need. And um, I don't know if it was quite that pure. I mean, I think there was also a dominance issue there, but... He was a big believer in the power of submission and not just metaphysically and philosophically and politically. I mean, he outright talks in interviews about there being a sexual element to this. And he says, look, one of the reasons Wonder Woman is somewhat scantily clad, you know, and consider again, this is the 1940s, right? He's like, one of the reasons she's scantily clad is because she is an attractive woman and we want her to be provocative and we actually want her to be somewhat titillating because we think young boys will pay more attention to the lessons we're trying to show if they are also erotically drawn to her. And I, Interesting. I yeah, what do you think about that? I'm, I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> wow. Uh, I love the look of Wonder Woman, though. I love, like, the athleticism of Wonder Woman. I love the fact that she always... So it worked on me. Uh, I always liked the fact that she was um, super sexy and just as strong as any of the guys. Well, and that's the cool thing now, right? With a modern eye, we can look back and be like, hey, it's okay that she's somewhat titillating because she's finding sort of power and satisfaction in her own body. But, you know, in 1940, they're not going to quite have that same view. But I, I really do, you know, and this is going kind of back to our kids. Like, you know, I, I want, you know, I, I've introduced my daughter to Wonder Woman in, in multiple formats, which we'll talk about in a little bit. 
And Mm -hmm. I'm kind of excited for my daughter to grow up. And when she's a little bit older to say like, Hey, you know, you've grown up with this icon, you've dressed as this icon, like take a look at some of the things that influenced her creation, because I do think they are worthwhile, you know, points of discussion. And I think it's fascinating because we have a tendency anachronistically to write off the past, right? To simplify it, to say like, Oh, Marston was, was secretly influenced by this, you know, these bondage fetishes that he suppressed and it's like, no, dude, he wasn't secretly anything. And he was not suppressing. <laughs> he was fully open. Oh, about yeah. It. He wasn't suppressing <laughs> anything. Like he had, you know, he was in a polyamorous relationship where they explored dominance and submission. Right. And the thing that's kind of interesting about that is if you read interviews with him, the submission is not male, it's not female to male. He talks about it running both directions. He says, a good man also knows how to submit to the female power. And so. Sure. Pretty interesting, you know, pretty progressive. And actually, there's a little bit more. So there's one other piece I want to get into when it comes to the bondage. Please. And uh, this Ooh, for me. Okay, more and more. Yeah, there's one, right. one more one more, one more link in the chain. <laughs> we're trying to make this as safe for work, but it's not. there will be explicit tag on this, folks. But it's pre- we'll try to keep it pretty safe for work. Yeah, I don't think it's explicit, actually. I think it's explicitly no. compelling. Um, so I'll, <laughs> I'll go with that. So, I like that. So the last influence that I want to talk about quickly with bondage which is a sentence I didn't think I would ever utter in my life, but (laughs) is let alone on a, yeah, let alone on a podcast about introducing Wonder Woman to our children. Um, who knew? So, so one of the other elements here, and this is what I'm actually like really, really excited about is that Olive Byrne coincidentally was the niece of Margaret Sanger. So I don't know. Are you familiar with Margaret Sanger? I don't, so Margaret Sanger. No, I'm not trying to make light of it. I just, I don't, I don't know who that is. So Uh, Margaret Sanger, Margaret Sanger. Yeah. She was, um, a really famous um, suffragette movement figure in the 1920s and, and 30s going forward, and in fact, argued vehemently for the introduction of birth control that, into the lives of women, particularly poor women. Oh. And she um, she was a fierce feminist. So Margaret Sanger and Olive Byrne's mom actually opened the first birth control clinic in the country in 1921. And it was wow. it was shut down. It she go- was arrested. Yeah, you can imagine, oh, right? Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. For those who don't know, uh, who have like ignored your history class, women couldn't always vote. Yeah. Uh, they didn't have equal rights. They were not uh, listened to in the world. They didn't have a voice. And so the suffragette movement was uh, the bringing out the women's vote, was entitling women to vote and have a say in their own affairs. So and just... Well, and along with that, and that's important information, but along with that, you know, Sanger was calling, Sanger was going way beyond the vote. Sanger was calling for, you know, controls of control of their bodies. And so she would go Absolutely. into, which they're still fighting for today. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say in your summary of the suffragette movement, I was like, yeah, unfortunately, other than the voting issue, not much has changed. Um, right. So Sanger would, would visit women. She was a, a medical professional. She would visit women all over the the city. You know, she would go into these tenements, and she writes this very famous essay. and And I actually had like did a little squee when I saw that Olive Byrne was her niece because I used to teach this essay when I taught high school, and it's one of my favorite essays. And my kids would flip when they read it. So Sanger would go into these tenements, and she would talk to these women who were literally dying because of, of multiple births. You know, they were giving birth to seven, eight kids and childbirth, you know, up Jesus, until- like that's like in, in the thirties and forties, twenties and thirties, uh, that's, that's gotta be super risky. Oh yeah. I it's, a, even- it's a death sentence. I mean, to this day in most of the world, childbirth is a leading cause of death for women. And it was, you know, no different in America at this time. And so, 
Sanger goes into these tenements and she writes this essay. And this is the part that people remember. This is sort of the most famous part of it. And she, a woman in one of the tenements recounts this story to Sanger where the doc, a doctor came in to see her and she had just given birth to her seventh child. She says to the doctor, doctor, you have to tell me how wealthy women you know, practice birth control. Like, there is a way, there is a secret because those women have two kids, maybe three kids, and I have seven. We can't afford one. And, and I'm going to die. And she says to him, she looks him in the eye. She says, I am going to die. This is how I'm going to die. If you don't tell me, if you don't save me and give me the secret of birth control. And he says, he says to her, you want the secret of birth control? There is only one answer. Tell Jake to sleep on the roof. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. The answer is fight off your husband's advances. And, and by the way, the husband has no agency in this, right? Like that sentence is not right tell Jake to, you know, like the two of you work out some other method, but yeah. And so this tell Jake to sleep on the roof <sighs> moment, I, I, I still remember it was one of my favorite essays to teach. My kids would read it and they would be like, what? And the, you know, girls would be up in arms and even the guys would be like, oh, that's a, that's a jerk move. Like, you know, and that's fucked. Yeah. It's like awful. just a uh, good luck. Tell him to, you know, yeah, it's, it's awful. And so Sanger was, Ugh. Sanger was a really controversial figure at the time. She was arrested multiple times and, and Olive Byrne and, and Marston are heavily influenced by her, not only by her writings, but by her personage, right? By her direct connection to them. Yeah. And so Marston. Her advocacy for that. Yeah. Exactly. But they can't talk about this openly and they certainly can't talk about it to, in, you know, the setting of the Because she's a book. super controversial figure, right? She can't be like, look, she's been arrested. But it's like, yeah, well, you can't be having her showing up at the, at the party. And you can't have Wonder Woman like stopping by her birth control clinic, you know, and, and, and right. condoning oh my God. that. Oh my God. I can't even imagine that story. Wow. It would be amazing. But <laughs> um, so, so anyway, one of the influences from Sanger is it's because she was such a major suffragette and Olive Byrne was so connected to this movement is that the iconic imagery of the suffragette movement was a woman in chains, a woman bound in chains by men. And so you would see this image in suffragette protests. You would see it in papers and political cartoons at the time, a woman in chains, and then a woman sort of breaking free of the chains of, you know, the restriction by men. And so Marston says, he gets accused of, of trying to titillate. He gets accused of it, you know, it being a sort of a bondage fetish. And he says, even at the time, no, that's not what I'm doing at all. He's like, I want every issue of this of this comic book and every kid who reads it to see a woman bound by a man finding her inner strength to break those chains, to break free, and then to overcome his tyranny. And I was like, oh, I'm like my head like just exploded. Oh, that's a totally different light. That's like totally not, yeah, that's a way deeper version. Yeah, it's amazing, right? Like, it, like so, so I know, you know, We've spent a little bit of time on on Marston and the creation of Wonder Woman, but oh my God, how do you not? There's so much to pack into that. And then Wonder Woman's powers, tradition. I, I was I was doing some research on my own. You're not the only one who can Wikipedia, Sean. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the, that she would traditionally lose her powers, her super strength, if she was bound by a man. Yep. Yeah. There's the, there's that symbolism, right? There's the symbolism direct from Sanger, direct from the suffragette movement of. A man can bind, even a woman as powerful as Wonder Woman can be bound by men and, and to have her power taken away. I mean, it's it's so cool, right? Like, it's so, it's just amazing. That's some, yeah, that that would be a whole other, we could do a whole show about that. And that's fascinating. Like, just like the, the, the symbolism there is uh, for women's rights, for no wonder she's such a strong, you know, 
advocate for that. That's amazing. Wow. And I think what's cool about it too, and I kind of hinted at this, but is, you know, we, you and I, and the, you know, the purpose of this podcast is to talk about like these, these pop culture figures or moments or creators and how they influenced us and then how we want them to influence our kids. And I love the fact that I'm going to get to have a lifelong conversation with my daughter about Wonder Woman and that it is going to take so many different forms that, you know, right now as she's really young, it's just, I can pretend to be Wonder Woman. I can be a superhero, which is awesome. And then eventually we're going to talk about like Wonder Woman on the cover of Ms. Magazine, you know, Gloria Steinem's magazine and Wonder Woman for president. We'll talk about her as a, a major figure in the feminist movement. And then we can, when she's you know older, we can talk about, oh, and hey, and by the way. she develops, you get more into, yeah, of what is the different levels there. Yeah, we can talk about her creation and what she thinks. So I just, I love it, man. I think this is a, it is a fascinating look into the creation of a figure. And I think, I think those pieces are what helps her echo even today. I think there are undercurrents of that, of, of the complexity of her creation, which have, have added to the, the longevity of, you know, of her power. Absolutely. Um. And long, yeah, long live Wonder Woman. That's fantastic, <laughs> man. And now I have to look at it in a totally, I have to look at it in a different light because I always pictured Wonder Woman as like uh, the equal of Superman easily. And now she might be better. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think she's more interesting. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to, you're like, you're like wait, I. Uh, no, wait, look, I don't want to do this podcast anymore. I got to go home and think about it. <laughs> you're like, yeah, I've got, I've got, got places to think. No. <laughs> I, got, I, I got, I have some. I have my life to reevaluate here. <laughs> so I'm sure that we could talk at length about her, or I'm sure there's even more to go through, but I want people to do some research on their own. I want people to, you know, be able to like dig into a little bit. Um, so that's where the origin of the character came from. Now, how I want to talk about a little bit how it was handled in pop culture, how other media tried to bring it out of comic books and into uh, the TV series and the film that the most recent uh, 2017 uh, film um, so I want to talk about uh, how we got into there's the, an animated movie there's a TV series um, unless there was anything else you wanted to talk about in the uh, the origin no no I think we mined that um, we yeah. beat that horse uh, pretty pretty well um, so in 1977 there's a TV series but what a lot of people don't know is that before that there was actually a, a pilot for a, a TV show in 1967 um, but it's it's super short it's in, it's and it's just the worst qualities of a woman <laughs> it, it it's probably the worst version of that I don't know. Uh, anything about the producers, but they saw the figure of how powerful it is and decided, let's make... I don't think they ever read a single Wonder Woman comic book before making the show, because it's awful. Yeah, I don't know anything about this show. Could you, like, what, what's the... What makes it so, okay, so horrible? <clears throat> well, it's, it's, a, it's a five or ten minute pilot. It's a super short. The pilot stars this woman named Ellie Wood Walker. I don't know if she's ever done anything else since... Uh, so it totally lacks the the campy tone of the Batman series because it was designed like okay Batman has a TV show in the '60s let's make a Wonder Woman show makes sense um, to try to capitalize on that and it's not 
fun. It's like making <laughs> fun of her. Oh. It's like um, she's this sort of klutz uh, living with her mother, who is not uh, Hippolyta, is not the queen of the Amazons. And most of it is her, uh, is Diana um, posing in front of a mirror where she sees herself uh, as way, as different than she's actually supposed to be. Uh, the whole thing, it's just super sexist and unappealing and um, it it's just any of the originality, there's no, nothing was ever uh, made from it. It was just for broad comedy. It was like um, uh, a laugh-in sketch with oh, Wonder God. Woman and it was just uh, in the worst way, in the worst way possible. Um, so thankfully that never went anywhere. Um, yeah, that's awful. That's- but then... Right, and then there's the 1970s TV show with Linda Carter. But before that, there was actually a show with uh, Denise Crosby. Was it? Oh, Kathy Lee Crosby. Kathy Lee Crosby. I always say Denise Crosby. I don't know why. I think I'm a Star Trek fan. Uh, (laughs) So, and uh, which is actually a lot of fun. The show um, was way more interesting. It had um, three seasons of her as a. sort of a, a different feel to it, certainly from the, the 60s show. Um, there was, uh, it was a television film that was like made their pilot. Um, and uh, it was just a, a lot of, uh, a lot of fun. And I think this was the introduction of the character that we see in um, the movie, Etta Candy, the, um, the secretary. So Etta Candy had actually been in the comics um, for quite a while. Has she? Okay. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, Etta Candy is a somewhat problematic character at times because she, in the early comics, and so as evolved as those early comics were, you know, it was still 1940, and she was the pudgy, plucky secretary, and um, more often than not, was treated like a sort of petulant child and was totally body shamed like every other issue. So uh, now she has transformed into a great character, and, and the movie even weirdly does pay some homage to the like plucky chubby secretary, but they make her a, a mm-hmm. fuller character, which is nice. Um, the Kathy Lee Crosby movie from 74 is, is much beloved. I got to tell you, like it is no, no one, you know, would in a, in a moment would trade it for the 77 Linda Carter series, but it does have its own sort of fun, campy seventies goodness, <laughs> right? Like it's, I loved Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, just the know. hair alone, uh, was fabulous. Well, and anything is better when Ricardo Montalban is in it. Like <laughs> uh, Star Trek included. Yes, you're you're absolutely right. Yeah. So, you know, it's it, that is always going to make it better. So you know, we get the, the 74 film and then that takes us to most people's first experience with Wonder Woman, which is the 77 show. And um, you it tell was us, mine. Yeah. Yeah. It tell us a little mine. bit about that. Um, I just I don't remember. um a lot from the show. I remember her being amazing. I spun around wanting to change. Yeah, just totally. like Wonder Woman. So that was like the the change they did bring to the the TV show, if I remember. That was not from the comic books, right? She, no, it wasn't. She spun. Um, they were like trying to figure out a way for her to become Wonder Woman. Like uh, Batman slid down a pole. He jumped in as Bruce Wayne. He slid down a pole and he came out as uh, Batman. And Clark Kent would go into a phone booth and come out as Superman. He would change super fast. So they're like, "Well, I gotta, we gotta do something. What's what's the what's the thing?" So they had her spin around, and that was enough. Like she could, like she like 
chucked off her old identity and became Wonder Woman. They never explained how that happened, but that's how, you know, she changed into, as, as what I remember the most well, from that show. One of the coolest elements of that particular method of change is she had different costumes, which was like unheard of in the comic book. Like, you remember, like, there would be episodes where she'd have to go in the water and she'd spin yeah. and she'd be in a scuba Wonder Woman suit. She'd be in a scuba suit. Yeah, so whatever it was, she could change into by spinning really fast. Yeah, it was awesome. And I remember, so that was combined with the Super Friends, that was definitely my first exposure to Wonder Woman. And the thing oh, I remember, do, and oh, I remember vividly, yes. uh, is that the first season, I think it's only the first season of the 77 show, is set in World War II. And she's, you know, fighting yes. Nazis, and it's it's her and Lyle, um, oh, I'm totally blank. Um, Wagner. Lyle Wagner, thank you. Yeah, from the Carol Burnett show. Her and mm-hmm. Lyle Wagner, and he's Steve Trevor, and they're fighting, you know, um, Nazis. And I love that season. And then they, they do a and time And the Bermuda trip. Triangle and the whole, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was it was yeah. a super campy. Because that's where uh, Paradise Island was, right? In the yep. show, it's in uh, the Bermuda Triangle. Because well, all things are <laughs> anything mysterious. Everything is everything ends up there. I think that was so, it's such a like it's uh, everything from Gilligan's Island to Wonder Woman. I love it. And and it's so so she and Steve Trevor would you know like fight the Nazis and then they did a time jump and I don't know if it was season two or maybe maybe season three but they did a time jump and suddenly you know it was it was more current and and Steve Trevor was still there and they were fighting you know bad guys but I loved that show and and I mean like you know talking about kind of Marston and his understanding of the power of female beauty, like Linda Carter is still iconically beautiful. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and I love the fact, you know, that that show was about a powerful woman and, you know, and, and a woman who would save the man. And that's always been one of my favorite tropes about Wonder Woman is that Steve Trevor would be the one in danger, you know, and, and yeah, well, yeah, she would absolutely. go save and, him. And she would come to his rescue. I remember she could, um, she could imitate people. Yeah. Over the phone? Do you remember this? I do remember that now. Yeah, that was a bizarre. She could power. impersonate anyone's voice. Like she could, like you know, and they would obviously it was a terrible cut. She she would mouth it, and it would be somebody else's voice. Um, but it was uh, I nobody uses nobody uses that anymore. She was the perfect ventriloquist. She could she could, uh, but that one of her little known powers. Well, and they totally stole that from Golden Age Superman and Silver Age Superman because Superman had super ventriloquism. And, oh, because uh, he could control the muscles in his throat and he could like make himself sound like whoever he wants yeah yeah and so they, they took that oh, but i do hilarious. remember that because those were creepy scenes i remember even as a kid being freaked <laughs> yes. out by that um like, wait, wait what why is she talking like a guy what's what's happening so she you know she's in that wonder woman tv show and it's it's relatively short-lived but it's beloved i mean it really um sure it, well now in season two it's actually okay so they they were like look we don't abc is the company and they're like look it's super expensive yeah being set for a period piece. We don't want to, you know, since the 1970s, we don't want to do a World War II piece. So they bring her back, like returns from, like, so they do this thing where they write it, they got to do a, a, a modernized version. And it's still Lyle Wagner, but he portrays his own son. Oh, that's how they pulled it off. Okay. Steve Jr. <laughs> also Steve. Like, ah, uh, so now she's hanging out like with, her son technically like who else's son is it gonna be oh god yeah and, and actually romantically involved with, right yeah oh that's so that's romantically involved with her former lover's son who's who was the wife who was the mother uh, I, I don't I, know if they ever 
explain that, but that's you just hit me like super creepy. Yeah, you're making my heart hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think about it. I can't. I can't think about it. Right? I did so not know they like, made him Steve Jr. I totally had blanked yeah, that out. It's, it's still him. Oh God. <laughs> still the actor. All right. Well, we have yeah. some, some some interesting elements. We need. Yeah, that's some, some more really interesting things to talk about. Yeah. So she. Um, so that I mean, my like I said, my <laughs> first experience with Wonder Woman was definitely the the TV show and the Super Friends. But as much as I liked the TV show, I I didn't connect with her on the Super Friends in any way, and that would actually show up quite a bit in my comic collecting. So I started collecting comic books in like 1982, 1983. I was really young. And when I look back at my comics from that time period, and this probably isn't unusual for a boy, but I, you know, it's, it's Batman and it's G.I. Joe and it's, you know, those kind of books. And I, and I'm always surprised that I don't have any Wonder Woman's from that time. And part of me has kind of admonished myself and been like, oh, I was probably just a dumb boy and I didn't want to collect a book with a girl. But then I actually don't have any Superman's from that time. And and as I've gotten older, I've realized that was before DC did its big, Crisis on Infinite Earths event and rebooted their universe, and I just had no interest in a lot of their books before them because they felt old. They they hadn't really changed much from the seventies, and here's Marvel doing all this really exciting stuff, and Batman's just cool, um, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, it's Batman, and so I'd stayed away from from some of those other books. But in 1987, after Crisis on Infinite Earths, DC reboots Wonder Woman, and they have George Perez who is. I mean, Ugh. yeah, he's yeah. on the Mount Rushmore. What do, you even say, like, what do you say that hasn't been said already about how amazing George Perez is? Yeah, he's um, he's one of the top four comic book artists of all time. But the thing about Perez, if you're not a comic book fan, if you don't know, the thing about Perez is he his the thing about him is his detail. He has this really gorgeous oh, yeah. style, and and Perez will put more work into a background of a single panel of a comic book than some artists put in the entire comic book. And so his yes. Wonder Woman reboot Agreed. is amazing. It, it took the character back to the start, it took her back to Themyscira, and it actually roots the book for the first time in decades. It roots the book in Greek mythology. And, and the main villain of his run, which is like 50 issues, is Ares. And she's fighting Deimos and Phobos, you know, who are lesser gods. And, um, you know, she's fighting Medusa and she's fighting all these great... Um, sort of villains or villainous monstrous figures from Greek mythology combined with some supervillain stuff along the way. But right. that book really is the I mean, first. that sounds like the basis of a lot of the modern movie, right? Exactly. It sounds like it was based a lot on that George Perez run. Exactly. Who was writing that? Was he also writing it or was he just doing the art on that? So he was doing art and he was co-writing at first with a guy named Bruce Patterson. And that only lasts a couple issues. And then Len Wein, uh, who's a, if, you know, if you're a comic book fan, Len Wein's like a major major writer yeah. from the 70s and then Huge and actually influence. was yeah. a great editor he edited Watchmen um, and mm. well and actually most famously he created Wolverine <laughs> so I'm kind of skipping bearing the lead really there. I don't oh I didn't know the yeah yeah Hulk 181 and 182 fun. it's written by Len right. Wein he creates Wolverine um, and actually created Swamp Thing as well wow I'm I'm totally not giving wow. him props <laughs> that's awesome yeah it sounds like he was really I, I didn't get into uh, I have to say I didn't get into a lot of comic book collecting until I met you. Uh, literally, <laughs> I had uh, some G.I. Joe comics and stuff. Like, I remember uh, when I was homesick once, my mom brought me home like a stack of, uh, like a, a handful of comics that she had got off the news rack, one of those spinning racks yep. at like the, uh, the, the drugstore. Um, literally, and one of them was uh, a G.I. Joe comic. And I was like, oh, this is dope. I love G.I. Joe. I like the little guys. So I was like, you know, I was, it was into the thing. 
But I think until I, uh, we, for those who don't know, we went to high school together uh, back when the dinosaurs still roamed the earth. <laughs> and uh, um, so we, uh, you had been talking about some comics that you were like, oh, what's this? And so I'm like, oh, what's a, what's a valiant? What's that? What's uh, the, you know, I remember what's the, what's image. This? And so yeah. I would exact image comics, huge in the nineties. And I was, uh, uh, picking your brain constantly like, oh, what's this? What's that? And so then I started to get into like actually collecting. Um, but I didn't start, I was, a, I came in a decade late, I think. Well, and, and she, you know, she, like I said, you know, Wonder Woman in particular had had this great long extended run from, mm. from George Perez and, and she, um, you're right, the movie borrows heavily from it. And, and the, the thing that, that Perez did that I think is the most valuable amidst all the great things in that book is he took her back to an ambassador of truth and peace. Like he went back to Marston's original thesis and he said, back to, yeah, you know, this is, this is the, the epitome of female power. This is the epitome of an alternative to toxic masculinity. But she can also kick your ass if she needs to. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and he went right back to that space. And so for me, you know, even though my first memories of Wonder Woman are, are Super Friends and, and the Linda Carter show, my definitive memory is really those George Perez books from the 80s. And, and you know, full confession, I'm still a comic book collector to this day. And so I have, you know, hundreds of issues of Wonder Woman. I have, you know, big long box full of them. And there have been some other runs that I've loved. But, you know, if we're talking about the first run I'm going to share with my daughter when she's a little bit older, it's going to be the George Perez run. Ah, oh, it's fantastic. So, but we, t- we touched on this super lightly earlier, but she has had like the longest run or one of the longest uninterrupted runs in comic books. She's been going straight. She's ne- there's never had a, a break in her content in her, uh, in her publication, right? Yeah. So there are only three characters in the history of comic books that have, can say this. And uh, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman. So Batman, you know, Superman and Batman are created in the late 30s. Wonder Woman in 1940. And then comic books are, you know, hugely popular at this time. And then in the 1950s, you get a guy named Frederick Wortham, who writes a book called Seduction of the Innocent. In oh, which, Wortham. Exactly, yeah. Uh, in which he just completely his. slams comic books as like, you know, filth and pornography. And he implies that like Batman and Robin are an example of a, heterastic hetero you know homosexual relationship right. and he's just awful like he i mean basically that book says more about wortham than it does about comic books which and, uh, most books do uh they say more about their author uh but wortham also uh became the origin of the comic books code that we've all come to know and hate exactly uh, about what could or couldn't be the 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 sexual violent content that could or couldn't be in, on a cover or inside a comic book you no, know, yeah, he's the origin of that. And and so well, the thing that's really funny about Wortham, though, and Wonder Woman in particular, is if you go back and look at Seduction of the Innocent, you, we, I mean, you could you could easily make the assumption that he's going to go right to the bondage stuff, right? Like, it's right. so much, it's so there, it's so present about how she's dressed, things like that. He doesn't mention anything about that. He has no issue with any of that. His big beef with Wonder Woman is that she shows girls that they can be more powerful than boys, that she is right. subversive. And the romantic relationships with other women yeah on paradise island um which are not actually implied heavily in in the early days of wonder woman it's now canonical that you know she is has had relationships which makes total sense but um but yeah it the his big issue was just her being a powerful figure who overpowered men 
And it's like, oh, well, okay, worth them. You know, <laughs> thanks again for revealing some really awesome uh, things. Wow, that's yourself. totally your your insecurities there. That's awesome. Thanks for foisting them on all of us. That's awesome. And so you, so you were right, back to your original point. So Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman, when that when that book comes out, the comics book, you know, Code Authority comes out. And, and you know, it's also just the cyclical nature of, of entertainment. Superhero comics go out of fashion for about 15 years. And the only comic books, the only characters that are published every month um, consistently are Wonder Woman, Superman, Batman. So actually, those are the only three characters who have been published monthly every month since the 19th, since 1940, which is just wow, amazing. Yeah, it's, I mean, she's almost That's 80 stunning. years old. Like yeah. they never, because Wonder Woman wasn't always the the glam, cool in thing now. There's got to be times where like, ah, she's probably... No, but she sold consistently, right? Otherwise, they would have killed it. Yeah, I mean, I th- that, that's the thing. Like, even if you want to just go purely Marxist on this, at some point, if her sales dipped, the book would have ended. I mean, that would have been the end of it because that's what right. ended The Flash and Green Lantern and Justice Society of America and all these other books. Yeah, they've that, had broken runs. There's not, like, consistently... I mean, to, to drive it home, the X-Men were canceled. You know, like, like yeah. the X-Men were canceled and then rebooted by Chris Claremont in the 70s. And, and the well, X-Men. to be fair, they had 17 titles out, so... Well, no, 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 no this was the original uh, no, X-Men No, that was before book. that. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> you're thinking the 90s, that. yeah, you're uh, right, when, like, I had an yeah, X-Men Yeah, the 90s of X-Teens and the X-Force and the X, <laughs> X, 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 yeah. Um, so Wonder Woman, you know, the sales were consistent. They must have been. And it's fascinating because she has almost 80 years of consecutive publishing history, which is... It's like awe-inspiring. Like it's it's, <laughs> it's amazing. Stunning. That's like yeah. So yeah. So that's I, I think, and that's important to note, especially, you know, to talk because because in my mind, and this is one of the things I'll talk to my daughter about as as you know she kind of gets further into it, is the idea that this character now transcends her origins, right? Like like she Absolutely. is yeah. She's no longer even a comic book character. Like she belongs to the world now. She's she's world myth now. Exactly. She belongs to, you know. And not, I don't think anything really um, highlighted that as much as the new 2007, the Warner Brothers movie, uh, Wonder Woman and, uh, with Gal Gadot. And because it was easy, it's easily the best of the crop. This whole series, they're, they're the the DC cinematic universe. Oh, easily the best film that has come out of that whole series. Yeah, I mean, it's it's inarguable, right? Like it's it is it's not only the best by by far i mean dc um cinematic universe but it, you know it's good marvel's you know kind of 16 and 0 at this point they've had hit after hit i would argue it is in the running for best superhero movie of all time i mean it's definitely in the conversation whoa okay yeah i mean i think look and i and and you know of course there's an element of it of you know wanting to have this amazing icon on the screen and, and represented well and for me, but also for my daughter and for everyone else. But it, even if I, even if you take all of that away and you just look at it as a superhero movie, it's fantastic. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's got great supporting characters. It's got an authentic romantic relationship, you know, between two equals. I mean, she is more powerful than Steve, but he finds his power in his own way. Sure. And, and uh, but she never makes him feel belittled. She never, um, makes him f- try to feel weak like that. There's never, she's not like intentionally doing any of that. She just is who she is. Well, yeah, and I would say even more importantly, she never belittles herself to make him feel better, you know, which is still something even like, better. look, I, yeah. I taught middle school for five years and I would see this horrible thing happen every year where I would teach sixth graders and then I would teach seventh graders and the kids I taught in sixth grade 
you know, these girls who were strong and independent and smart suddenly in seventh grade weren't raising their hands and weren't providing the answers I know they knew. I know for a fact they knew because they didn't want the boys to think they were too smart. And this was like, this was, you know, this was only a few years ago. So, sure. um, yeah, so that, you know, that dumbing down thing happens. And so I love the fact that, you know, that doesn't happen. And yeah, that movie is just, um, and then, you know, as important, not only is it a fantastic film with a female lead, but it's directed by a woman as well. And so it, you right, know, directed what? Exactly. Yeah. Patty Jenkins. And, and it, you know, sends an important message as well of like, Hey, you know, it's time for some other voices and sure. reason now, Hollywood. Exactly. And on that uh, I want to I want to jump on that because especially I want to be a little topical here, like talking about where it is now, um, and women's uh, power. Gal Gadot has said she would n- she basically held Warner Brothers hostage and said I will not do this film if Brett Ratner is attached. Can you explain why like a little bit of the the background with Brett Ratner? Because Brett Ratner has had multiple sexual harassment allegations levied against him. She doesn't want to do anything to do with him. And she said, I will step away. You can, I, she'll throw all that money away. I don't want it if he's attached to any of this. And Warner Brothers said, okay, he's fired. We need you. We need this thing. And I think that's incredibly powerful. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's it's nice to see a woman exercising the power off screen that she exercises To stand off screen. up off screen. Yeah, to have not just, you know, like the movie star where she, because she's, She's supposed to be strong because Wonder Woman's strong, but outside to have that bargaining power and to use it for good to say, no, this person who demeans women and sexually harasses women should not be involved in a movie about Wonder Woman. Yeah, and it's 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 another way in which that film and that character are extending that that element of being a role model, right? Like, like not Absolutely. only now can we have the conversation not, with our kids about Marston and his, and Olive Byrne right. and Holloway, we can talk about Gal Gadot and we can talk about her stand and Patty Jenkins' stand. Right. And yeah, it's awesome. It just adds layers and layers. Add to the fact that, you know, and this doing the same thing with, um, um, like, other modern shows as well where the male leads are, are if male actors and uh, male producers and... Uh, other political figures are accused of sexual harassment. Um, the the productions are proceeding without them. Yeah, it um, is. It's that, an important moment. It's, it's a watershed yeah, moment. It's it's a huge moment for us to decide that that's unacceptable behavior. And if you per, you you persist in that, you don't get to play anymore. You're just done. And we're gonna we're all gonna move on without you because the rest of us have. We've we, that's not acceptable behavior. And I think it, it brings us to an interesting point in, in the show where, you know, we've talked about Wonder Woman and, and where she was in the past and kind of where she is now with the movie. And I'm just curious to get your read. Like, where do you think it goes next? Like, what's the evolution of Wonder Woman, not even necessarily as a property, but just of, of the spirit and sort of ideals behind it? Like, where do you think, what do you think happens next? What happens for our kids? I would love to see... Um Wonder Woman as a not just a um, uh, an advocate for truth or peace, but a political figure. Oh wow! Like, I think that's possible in the comics. I think that would be like the bravest thing I could think of DC doing. As like she's not just the ambassador for Themyscira. Like they officially, she could never be the president of America in the way that uh, a. a a character could be uh, uh, th- because legally you, you have to be born in America, but 
the like if she was a, like a, the president of Themyscira and they officially recognized her and she was a political figure for that. Not just, you know, running around superhero punching bad guys kind of thing, but making policy affecting positive change and being that example of, uh, yes, this is what uh, a strong, smart, beautiful woman can be. You know, and, I, and they've they've hinted at that in the comics at times. And, and I would make a recommendation um, if people haven't read it. In the mid-2000s, Greg Rucka did a run on Wonder Woman. And his thesis was that she was actually, she was the ambassador for the mascara. She had an embassy and, and did actually move in the political realm, um, awesome. kind of advocating a... Um, a platform, an agenda, and a, a, a woman's rights. I would rights. love to see more of that. Yeah, yeah, and it, and he started it. It was like she got in some trouble for having like a woman's rights agenda, and um, and actually this is played up in a, in a comic book called Astro City by Kurt Busiek, where there's a Wonder Woman analog, Winged Victory, and she has women's shelters all over the country, and people accuse her mm. of being a cult leader, basically, because um, who would ever want to help women? And because um, <laughs> right, yeah, seriously. <laughs> and so, um, so they they started that in this run, and then it ended really abruptly. I would love. I think you're right. I would love to see them go back to that, and even in the films, you know, to have that element would be amazing because this should be this Gal Gadot film should be the start of of what we have for Batman and Superman, which is you know every ten years we cycle in a new Wonder Woman movie. Like, like this should be understood that, you know, we should probably get three or four movies with Godot and, and um, hopefully Patty Jenkins. But when that ends, oh, yeah, they, when they move on, you know, when they move on to other roles and they've, you know, kind of outgrown it, we should have a few years off and then bam, we should reset. Yeah. And we should have a do it with, movie. yeah, they do it with Batman. They do it with Superman. They do it with Spider-Man. They do it with like all these other heroes. Um, where they just okay five years it's been five it's been ten years great we need a new one let's go it is it absolutely needs to be in the public eye it needs to be on regular rotation and I think it will be and and, and I've seen it permeate in some other places so like for anybody listening out there who's also a dad and, and who's like oh how can I get my boy you know my son or daughter into Wonder Woman especially if they're younger DC has a line called DC Superhero Girls. And I actually really wish they hadn't called it Superhero Girls. I wish they just called it like Superhero High. Um, but I get it because it is focusing like Wonder Woman, Supergirl, Hawk Girl, Bumblebee. Those are the main characters. But it, they have cartoons, they have cartoon movies, and they have graphic novels, and they have action figures. And they are amazing. My daughter loves them. Whenever a new movie comes out, we get it. Whenever awesome. a new graphic novel comes out, we get it. And we read it together. And she is like, that's been her big introduction you know, age appropriate introduction to Wonder Woman because she's still a little too young to watch the recent film. Uh, we yeah, watched the I think anime. It's a little, yeah, it's a little violent. Um, you know, and, and especially like some of the World War One depictions. I was sure. thinking she's not quite ready yeah. for that. And yeah, now, we, now Sean and I both have uh, uh, seven, eight year old uh, daughters. Um, so, like, I'm look, I'm getting my uh, youngest into. Um, graphic novels as well so right now it's sort of just fun stuff but i would love to introduce her to that and be her her first introduction of of superheroines uh superheroes to be it's called uh dc dc superhero girls superhero girls okay yeah it's phenomenal it's really the the movies are great the first movie in particular is really excellent 
And then the graphic novels are, are a blast. And it's, you know, and there, are, there are male characters in it. Like there's a young Flash, a young Green Lantern, a young Cyborg. But the focus is on the girls, particularly Wonder Woman. And the focus is on not, it's not a teen graphic novel where it's, oh, it's a bunch of girls, so it's going to be all about drama. It is very much about these young girls kind of discovering their place as heroes and what it means to be a hero. And it's the kind of stories we've gotten for boys for decades and we rarely see for girls. It's really, really fantastic. And That's fantastic. Yeah, I love that. Can't recommend it enough. And, and um, you know, I think one of the impacts as we talk about Wonder Woman, you know, what she, how she's impacted the world and kind of in the future, I think we're seeing a, a lot of it. You had talked about, you know, the entertainment industry and, you know, not tolerating sexual harassment and female actors and directors finding their, their power and their voices. And we see this in the comic books as well, actually. Like Eddie Berganza, who was an editor for DC Comics, and had sexually harassed several women over the years. And and it was public, it was known, DC had actually sent him to like a, a course and had like reprimanded him publicly. And yet he was still the head of major lines. And there was an, an agreement, and several people have testified to this, there was an agreement in DC Comics that in order to protect women from Eddie, they wouldn't bring any female writers or artists into his books. Well, he, he wrote, he was this, the editor for Superman and Justice League, and like these major books. And so here are these female writers and creators who were like, hey, I would like a shot at that. But right. DC's policy to, quote, protect me is to not let me even in the door. Like, how about instead of protecting me, you fire his ass? And DC yeah. did not, like, I mean, there was that's, outcry. It's such a backwards way of looking at it. Like, yep. well, we want to protect these women, so we won't put them on these big projects that he runs. No, his ass. He should have been fired years ago. And I'm, I'm telling you, this is this is over eight years. Like, there have been articles published. Yeah. People knew this was understood in the industry to the point where I'm a fan. I don't work in the comic book industry, and I knew about it. And it was not until a couple months ago when, um, I believe it was Entertainment Weekly, or, or I don't know what publication, I apologize, Shh. but one publication put the pictures of accused sexual harassers on the cover and said, like, here are the men that are still in the industry, in, in entertainment industries, who have, have proven to harass women. And they put Eddie Berganza's picture on there. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was next to, like, Harvey Weinstein. It was in insane. Like, Good. Had, and you know, Good. here's his DC editor. Yeah, it was they awesome. And he called was, out. He was fired the next day. But but shame on Warner Brothers, right? Like, shame on but DC for not doing it earlier. That, it took being on the cover of a, mag like, they, uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's, so I do think, I think you're right. I think some of the future of Wonder Woman, like where it goes next is, is an empowering, you know, not just as an icon. Yeah. We're seeing more and more female leads. Mm -hmm. We're seeing more and more, uh, that feminism, that strong, and it's not just, um, and, and I wanted to ask you that, um, as well, like going forward, you talk about the future of not just Wonder Woman, but she's, uh, what does that mean to be, uh, the that the feminist icon, I think, you know, that's a tough question, right? Like, what is feminism? Right. I mean, it's huge. That's yeah. a huge question. We could have a whole another hour talking about this, but we're but to, yeah, to to give, a, I guess, as succinct an answer as I can. I think it's it's the it's interesting. I think you know what it is. I think it's a boomerang effect. I think it's returning back to Marston, Holloway, and Byrne, and their original thesis for Wonder Woman, which is a role model that wants, makes girls want to be girls, that makes girls want to find their, 
inner qualities that are not celebrated, and boys as well, that are not celebrated in, in mainstream culture as strong or heroic, like like the power of, of truth, the power of being loving, the power of kindness, but also women as athletic, as strong, as breaking the, the bonds of, of you know, um, oppression. And then in the extension of it, and this is my... This is my hope, and this is what I'm most excited for. Is it now that Wonder Woman stops being a feminist icon and starts just being a human icon? That that it's it's like you said, it's modern mythology, oh, yeah. and that absolutely, she, you know, she absolutely is. Yeah, and and it's you know, in he, I only have a daughter, so you know, my my lens through which I'm viewing it is very geared towards you know, I see all the horrible things that that the entertainment industry says to my daughter, and all the body yeah. image things, and so uh, so yeah, I do think I do think the future is you know, is, is this sort of human icon. And, and I love yeah. the idea of Wonder Woman as the first of this line of a new kind of hero, male or female. First of many actually. to come. Absolutely. And just to give a, a, a very quick example, like one of the next movies on Marvel's slate is Captain Marvel, uh, who was Carol yeah. Danvers. It's, a, it's a, a really powerful female character from Marvel. And Marvel made a really cool decision about 10 years ago where they looked around and they went, okay, DC's Trinity, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, our Trinity... Wolverine, Spider-Man, Iron Man, or Captain America, depending on and the Captain day. Captain America, yeah, I would say, yeah. But I would say, yeah, I would say Captain America, Iron Man, and Spider-Man. Yeah, well, Wolverine's in there too, you know, and, and so they're like, but their trinity is all male. And they looked right. around and they were like, okay, well, who's our Wonder Woman? And they're like, we, you know, we get close, we have Storm, we have some great characters, but we don't have a Wonder Woman. And they consciously took that Carol Danvers character, who was Ms. Marvel, and they mm-hmm. made her Captain Marvel, and they played up her her military career, and they played her up as a leader. And so now, when the heroes all come together for the yearly whatever Marvel event where they face some big bad guy, she's actually at the forefront. Like she's leading the charge. She's the mil- modern military leader. Absolutely, exactly. And and which really I cool. love, Captain Marvel. And one of my favorite things about that character is it's like if you just look at the name Captain Marvel, it doesn't imply like Wonder Woman. Oh, she's a woman. Batman. Superman, there's no gender in the name. Like Black Widow is a widow is a is a woman. Oh, I mean a man, man can be a widower as well, but yeah, but no, you're right. It is no it is. widower, right? But it, it's not Black Widower. Yeah, <laughs> that would be it's a whole Black different widow. character. It's not. It's it's Squirrel Girl. It's like if you look at the the female names. Well, and uh, and they're very. Uh, I but just the name Captain Marvel. I like that it's it's new. It shouldn't it can be either way. You know, it doesn't have to. It's not. That's not what's important about that character. And what's especially nice about that is it's not a female derivation of another hero, which is actually how she right. began. She began as Miss Marvel, Ms. Marvel, because there was a Captain Marvel who was a male, and she's Correct. since taken that that identity. Um, he died, but but she's not Batgirl, who I love, or right. Supergirl, or who Super I also Girl, love, or, or She Hulk. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she's her she own Hulk. character, right? What about you? What do you Very. think is what's the what's the future of of Wonder Woman and what's the what, what is feminism in the future? Small question. What is feminism? Well, gosh, let me tell you. I know all about feminism in the future as a white male. I'll, let me explain to you. <laughs> uh, no, I have no fucking yeah, I have no idea. Um, I think that we get to see um, characters like Kate Blanchett in Thor, Ragnarok, yes. um, with totally unphotoshopped wrinkles. I, I didn't see know her, that. Like, uh, totally flaws and all. That's just her 40 feet tall. You know, just like uh, all of her. Uh, we get to see a female Doctor Who. Hell yeah. We get to see House of Cards 
proceeding forward without Kevin Spacey, with, with uh, uh, Robin Wright as the main character. I think it's fabulous. Uh, and she's that, the most interesting character in that show anyway, so that's fantastic. Easily, easily that these leads are not, they're not defined, but they just happen to be women. They're not, you know, trying to seduce the men. They're not trying to, you know, use their feminine wiles. They're strong, just as strong as the men, but they don't have to be um, cre- craven or bitchy or you know, they can just be themselves. I think that's amazing. Yeah, and I think, you know, when I, and I really think about what do I want, you know, my daughter to get out of... Absolutely. Uh, you know why? Why have I made it a priority to introduce Wonder Woman in her life? You know, it's 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 a double edged sword because it's one of the reasons I've made it a priority is because there aren't a lot of other options. So hopefully that will change very soon. But then Absolutely. you know the, the positive part of that is just the the again back to the thesis of of just her existence and creation, which is like there are other sources of power and there are ways to be powerful and there are ways to be strong that are multifaceted and are nuanced and involve physical strength and emotional strength and, you know, a dedication to sort of a bigger ideal. And I, I mean, geez, like talk about a time where we need Wonder Woman more than ever. Like when we need that, that message more than ever, you know? And, and so I, I really am, I'm so excited that the movie came out, that it did so well. Absolutely. It was so successful that it was so successfully made. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful as a, as a person and then, you know, also as a, as a parent, as, as a, a daughter, as a father. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hopeful. Uh, that this you, know is- what? you said we were talking a little bit about this before the show and I think you hit it on the head, but you haven't said it yet. What Wonder Woman really needs is a video game. Oh Guys, my God. Part of the video game industry. If you have any influence over any of that women, if you have any say in this, please make a good Wonder Woman video game. Not just injustice, not just like you know a Street Fighter clone where you can. Fight. It's not. I know. Don't don't hate. <laughs> don't at me. It's just like <laughs> fighting. Like there's not a lot of story in injustice. There's not a lot of you know. Uh, I want a good Wonder Woman centric video game where she starts in Themyscira and you train up, or you have a flashback and she's you know training up and fighting other people, and then and then and off to the world to save Batman and Superman to save them from sheer certain doom. Or, you know what, to not involve them at all. Like, just, you know, have it be or her even, own. Yeah, to yeah. not even, you know, exactly. To be her own thing. Either way, I'm, I'm, I'm easily pleased. <laughs> I, would, I would love a really good Wonder Woman video game. That would be awesome. And, you know, and, and hopefully we'll see, you know, multiple platforms, like some really good Wonder Woman young adult novels. And, you know, just it kind of expanding out into other genres. And, not you know, just a movie, not just a TV show, not just the same comics that we've seen all the way around. We need new media. We need new... Yeah formats for this I think so all right man well I think um, you know we've we have celebrated the uh, a, a worthy uh, icon uh, and and actually also a phenomenal character like I too I am still reading Wonder Woman comic books I you know absolutely to this day and, and uh, you know just as a, a final recommendation you know to anybody out there but especially if you're a parent you know if you're if you're looking for an entry point for a younger kid, then definitely um, Justice League Action is a really fun cartoon for all ages. Uh, Justice League and then Justice League Unlimited from the late 90s, early 2000s. Those cartoons are fantastic. The you know, Wonder and Woman... DC 70- Superhero Girls DC line. Superhero Girls line is perfect. I mean, it's perfection. 
Uh, go back to the Wonder Woman 77 series. You can find them on, you know, online very easily. And then as your kids get older, like there are some phenomenal comic book runs and, you know, the Gal Gadot movie. And there are just so many great places to go. And, and, and in Wonder Woman as a launching pad, you know, there are other great characters as well. So, so hopefully, you know, this has proven helpful and, and maybe we'll give you some ideas on the, you know, the very thing that we're, we're talking this, about. Which is, hopefully this will just whet your appetite for more uh, and not, we have not even begun to plumb the depths of what has gone on in the Wonder Woman comics and the, even there's even more to the backstory. Uh, we just wanted to give everybody a, a taste of how f- multifaceted, how deep and interesting this character actually is. Um, and actually one final recommendation. If you, if you were fascinated as we were by uh, William Moulton Marston and his, his very interesting life, <laughs> uh, there's a book by Jill Lepore called the secret history of Wonder Woman which delves into that in much more detail. So I would, I would recommend that highly. I just want to say thank you so much for listening. This has been an awesome experience for us. We had a blast looking into Wonder Woman's history, Wonder Woman's present, and a like, dominant future, which we all know is coming. Join us next on our next episode, where we will plumb the depths of yet another amazing element of pop culture and look at how it impacts us, how it impacts the world, and how it impacts our kids. Any views or opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the authors and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the authors may or may not be associated with in professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. All content provided on this podcast is for informational purposes only. The owner of the podcast makes no representations as to the accuracy or completeness of any information on this site or found by following any link on this site. The owner will not be liable for any errors or omissions in this information nor for the availability of this information. The owner will not be liable for any losses, injuries, or damages from the display or use of this information.